chapter one of the quintessence of ibsenism by george bernard shaw this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by expatriate in bangor maine chapter one the two pioneers that is pioneers of the march to the plains of heaven so to speak the second whose eyes are in the back of his head is the man who declares that it is wrong to do something that no one has hitherto seen any harm in the first whose eyes are very long-sighted and in the usual place is the man who declares that it is right to do something hitherto regarded as infamous the second is treated with great respect by the army they give him testimonials name him the good man and hate him like the devil the first is stoned and shrieked at by the whole army they call him all manner of opprobrious names grudge him his bare bread and water and secretly adore him as their saviour from utter despair let me take an example from life of my pioneers shelley was a pioneer and nothing else he did both first and second pioneers work now compare the effect produced by shelley as abstinence preacher or second pioneer with that which he produced as indulgence preacher or first pioneer for example second pioneer proposition it is wrong to kill animals and eat them first pioneer proposition it is not wrong to take your sister as your wife footnote the curious persistence of this proposition in the higher poetry of the nineteenth century is not easy to account for now that it sounds both unimportant and old-fashioned it is as if one said it is not wrong to stand on one's head the reply is you may be very right but as nobody wants to why bother about it yet i think this sensible way of treating the matter obviously more healthy than the old morbid horror has been produced largely by the refusal of poets like shelley and wagner to accept the theory of natural antipathy as the basis of the tables of consanguinity and by the subsequent publication of masses of evidence by sociologists from herbert spencer to westermark showing that such tables are entirely conventional and that all our prohibitions have been either ignored or actually turned into positive obligations at one time or another without any shock to human instincts the consequence is that our eyes are now opened to the practical social reasons for barring marriage between lyon and kithna sigmund and siglinda and the preaching of incest as something poetic in itself has lost all its morbid interest and ceased also we are beginning to recognize the important fact that the absence of romantic illusion as between persons brought up together which undoubtedly exists and which used to be mistaken for natural antipathy cannot be depended on as between strangers however close their consanguinity and that any domestic or educational system which segregates the sexes produces romantic illusion no matter how undesirable it may be it will be seen later on in the chapter dealing with the play called ghosts that ibsen took this modern view that consanguinity does not count between strangers i have accepted it myself in my play mrs warren's profession End footnote here the second pioneer appears as a gentle humanitarian and the first as an unnatural corrupter of public morals and family life so much easier is it to declare the right wrong 
than the wrong right in a society with a guilty conscience to which as to dickens detective any possible move is a probable move provided it's in a wrong direction just as the liar's punishment is not in the least that he is not believed but that he cannot believe any one else so a guilty society can more easily be persuaded that any apparently innocent act is guilty than that any apparently guilty act is innocent the english newspaper which best represented the guilty conscience of the middle class was when ibsen's plays reached england the daily telegraph if we can find that the daily telegraph attacked ibsen as the quarterly review used to attack shelley it will occur to us at once that there must be something of the first pioneer about ibsen the late clement scott at that time dramatic critic to the daily telegraph was a sentimentally good-natured gentleman not then a pioneer though he had in his time fought hard for the advance in british drama represented by the plays of robertson he was also an emotional impressionable zealous and sincere roman catholic he accused ibsen of dramatic impotence ludicrous amateurishness nastiness vulgarity egotism coarseness absurdity uninteresting verbosity and suburbanity declaring that he has taken ideas that would have inspired a great tragic poet and vulgarized and debased them in dull hateful loathsome horrible plays this criticism which occurs in a notice of the first performance of ghosts in england is to be found in the daily telegraph for the fourteenth of march eighteen ninety one and is supplemented by a leading article which compares the play to an open drain a loathsome sore unbandaged a dirty act done publicly or a lazar house with all its doors and windows open bestial cynical disgusting poisonous sickly delirious indecent loathsome fetid literary carrion crapulous stuff clinical confessions all these epithets are used in the article as descriptive of ibsen's work realism said the writer is one thing but the nostrils of the audience must not be visibly held before a play can be stamped as true to nature it is difficult to expose in decorous words the gross and almost putrid indecorum of this play as the performance of ghosts took place on the evening of the thirteenth march and the criticism appeared next morning it is evident that clement scott must have gone straight from the theatre to the newspaper office and there in an almost hysterical condition penned his share of this extraordinary protest the literary workmanship bears marks of haste and disorder which however only heightened the expression of the passionate horror produced in the writer by seeing ghosts on the stage he calls on the authorities to cancel the license of the theatre and declares that he has been exhorted to laugh at honour to disbelieve in love to mock at virtue to distrust friendship and to deride fidelity if this document were at all singular it would rank as one of the curiosities of criticism exhibiting as it does the most seasoned playgoer in london thrown into convulsions by a performance which was witnessed with approval and even with enthusiasm by many persons of approved moral and artistic conscientiousness but clement scott's criticism was hardly distinguishable in tone from dozens of others which appeared simultaneously his opinion was the vulgar opinion 
mr alfred watson critic to the standard the leading tory daily paper proposed that proceedings should be taken against the theatre under lord campbell's act for the suppression of disorderly houses clearly clement scott and his editor sir edwin arnold with whom rested the final responsibility for the article which accompanied the criticism represented a considerable party how then is it that ibsen a norwegian playwright of european celebrity attracted one section of the english people so strongly that they hailed him as the greatest living dramatic poet and moral teacher whilst another section was so revolted by his works that they described him in terms which they themselves admitted to be by the necessities of the case all but obscene this phenomenon which has occurred throughout europe whenever ibsen's plays have been acted as well as in america and australia must be exhaustively explained before the plays can be described without danger of reproducing the same confusion in the reader's own mind such an explanation therefore must be my first business understand at the outset that the explanation will not be an explaining away clement scott's judgment did not mislead him in the least as to ibsen's meaning ibsen means all that most revolted his critic for example in ghosts the play in question a clergyman and a married woman fall in love with one another the woman proposes to abandon her husband and live with a clergyman he recalls her to her duty and makes her behave as a virtuous woman she afterwards tells him that this was a crime on his part ibsen agrees with her and has written the play to bring you round to his opinion clement scott did not agree with her and believed that when you are brought round to her opinion you have been morally corrupted by this conviction he was impelled to denounce ibsen as he did ibsen being equally impelled to propagate the convictions which provoke the attack which of the two is right cannot be decided until it is ascertained whether a society of persons holding ibsen's opinions would be higher or lower than a society holding clement scott's there are many people who cannot conceive this as an open question to them a denunciation of any recognized practices is an incitement to unsocial conduct and every utterance in which an assumption of the eternal validity of these practices is not implicit is a paradox yet all progress involves the beating of them from that position by way of illustration one may rake up the case of proudhon who in the year eighteen forty carefully defined property as theft this was thought the very maddest paradox that ever man hazarded it seemed obvious that a society which countenanced such a proposition must speedily be reduced to the condition of a sacked city today schemes for the confiscation by taxation and supertaxation of mining royalties and ground rents are commonplaces of social reform and the honesty of the relation of our big property holders to the rest of the community is challenged on all hands it would be easy to multiply instances though the most complete are now ineffective through the triumph of the original paradox having obliterated all memory of the opposition it first had to encounter the point to seize is that social progress takes effect through the replacement of old institutions by new ones and since every institution involves the recognition of the duty of conforming to it progress must involve the repudiation of an established duty at every step 
if the englishman had not repudiated the duty of absolute obedience to his king his political progress would have been impossible if women had not repudiated the duty of absolute submission to their husbands and defied public opinion as to the limits set by modesty to their education they would never have gained the protection of the married women's property act the municipal vote or the power to qualify themselves as medical practitioners if luther had not trampled on his duty to the head of his church and on his vow of chastity our clergy would still have to choose between celibacy and profligacy there is nothing new then in the defiance of duty by the reformer every step of progress means a duty repudiated and a scripture torn up and every reformer is denounced accordingly luther as an apostate cromwell as a traitor mary wollstonecraft as an unwomanly virago shelley as a libertine and ibsen as all the things enumerated in the daily telegraph this crab-like progress of social evolution in which the individual advances by seeming to go backwards continues to elude us in spite of all the lessons of history to the pious man the newly made free thinker suddenly renouncing supernatural revelation and denying all obligation to believe the bible and obey the commandments as such appears to be claiming the right to rob and murder at large but the free thinker soon finds reasons for not doing what he does not want to do and these reasons seem to him to be far more binding on our conscience than the precepts of a book of which the infallibility cannot be rationally proved the pious man is at last forced to admit as he was in the case of the late charles bradlaugh for instance that the disciples of voltaire and tom paine do not pick pockets or cut throats oftener than your even christian he actually is driven to doubt whether voltaire himself poor voltaire who built a church and was the greatest philanthropist of his time really screamed and saw the devil on his deathbed this experience by no means saves the rationalist from falling into the same conservatism when the time comes for his own belief to be questioned footnote i had better here warn students of philosophy that i am speaking of rationalism not as classified in the books but as apparent to men no sooner has he triumphed over the theologian than he forthwith sets up as binding on all men the duty of acting logically with the object of securing the greatest good of the greatest number with the result that he is presently landed in vivisection contagious diseases acts dynamite conspiracies and other grotesque but strictly reasonable abominations reason becomes dagon moloch and jehovah rolled into one its devotees exult in having freed themselves from the old slavery to a collection of books written by jewish men of letters to worship such books was they can prove as absurd as to worship sonatas composed by german musicians as was done by the hero of wagner's novelette who sat up on his deathbed to say his creed beginning i believe in god mozart and beethoven the voltairean free thinker despises such a piece of sentiment but is it not much more sensible to worship a sonata constructed by a musician than to worship a syllogism constructed by a logician since the sonata may encourage heroism or at least inspire feelings of awe and devotion this does not occur to the votary of reason 
and the rationalist free thinking soon comes to mean syllogism worship with rites of human sacrifice for just as the rationalist pious predecessor thought that the man who scoffed at baptism and the bible must infallibly yield without resistance to all his criminal propensities so the rationalist in turn becomes convinced that when a man once loses his faith in vaccination and in herbert spencer's data of ethics he is no longer to be trusted to keep his hands off his neighbour's person purse or wife in process of time the age of reason had to go its way after the age of faith in actual experience the first shock to rationalism comes from the observation that no nothing can persuade women to adopt it their impatience of reasoning no more prevents them from arriving at right conclusions than the masculine belief in it never a very deeply rooted faith in england by the way whatever it may have been in france or greece saves men from arriving at wrong ones when this generalization has to be modified in view of the fact that some women are beginning to try their skill at radiocination reason is not re-established on the throne because the result of woman's reasoning is that she begins to fall into all the errors which men are just learning to mistrust the moment she sets about doing things for reasons instead of merely finding reasons for what she wants to do there is no saying what mischief she will be at next there being just as good reasons for burning a heretic at the stake as for rescuing a shipwrecked crew from drowning in fact there are better one of the first and most famous utterances of rationalism would have condemned it without further hearing had its full significance been seen at the time voltaire taking exception to the trash of some poetaster was met with the plea one must live i don't see the necessity replied voltaire the evasion was worthy of the father of lies himself for voltaire was face to face with the very necessity he was denying must have known consciously or not that it is the universal postulate would have understood if he had lived to-day that since all valid human institutions are constructed to fulfil man's will and his will is to live even when his reason teaches him to die logical necessity which was the sort voltaire meant the other sort being visible enough can never be a motor in human action and is in short not necessity at all but that was not brought to light in voltaire's time and he died impenitent bequeathing to his disciples that most logical of agents the guillotine which also did not see the necessity in our own century the recognition of the will as distinct from the reasoning machinery began to spread schopenhauer was the first among the moderns to appreciate the enormous practical importance of the distinction and to make it clear to amateur metaphysicians by concrete instances footnote i say the moderns because the will is our old friend the soul or spirit of man and the doctrine of justification not by works but by faith clearly derives its validity from the consideration that no act taken apart from the will behind it has any moral character for example the acts which make the murderer and incendiary as infamous are exactly similar to those which make the patriotic hero famous original sin is the will doing mischief divine grace is the will doing good our fathers unversed in the hegelian dialectic could not conceive that these two each the negation of the other were the same schopenhauer's philosophy like that of all pessimists 
is really based on the old view of the will as original sin and on the seventeen fifty to eighteen fifty view that the intellect is the divine grace that is to save us from it it is as well to warn those who fancy that schopenhauerism is one and indivisible that acceptance of its metaphysics by no means involves endorsement of its philosophy out of his teaching came the formulation of the dilemma voltaire had shut his eyes to here it is rationally considered life is only worth living when its pleasures are greater than its pains now to a generation which has ceased to believe in heaven and has not yet learned that the degradation by poverty of four out of every five of its number is artificial and remediable the fact that life is not rationally worth living is obvious it is useless to pretend that the pessimism of koheleth shakespeare dryden and swift can be refuted if the world progresses solely by the destruction of the unfit and yet can only maintain its civilization by manufacturing the unfit in swarms of which that appalling proportion of four to one represents but the comparatively fit survivors plainly then the reasonable thing for the rationalists to do is to refuse to live but as none of them will commit suicide in obedience to this demonstration of the necessity for it there is an end of the notion that we live for reasons instead of in fulfilment of our will to live thus we are landed afresh in mystery for positive science gives no account whatever of this will to live positive science has dazzled us for nearly a century with its analyses of the machinery of sensation its researches into the nature of sound and the construction of the ear the nature of light and the construction of the eye its measurement of the speed of sensation its localization of the functions of the brain and its hints as to the possibility of producing a homunculus presently as the fruit of its chemical investigation of protoplasm have satisfied the souls of our atheists as completely as belief in divine omniscience and scriptural revelation satisfied the souls of their pious fathers the fact remains that when young helmholtz darwin Haeckel, and the rest popularized here among the literate classes by tyndall and huxley and among the proletariat by the lectures of the national secular society have taught you all they know you are still as utterly at a loss to explain the fact of consciousness as you would have been in the days when you were instructed from the child's guide to knowledge materialism in short only isolated the great mystery of consciousness by clearing away several petty mysteries with which we had confused it just as rationalism isolated the great mystery of the will to live the isolation made both more conspicuous than before we thought we had escaped for ever from the cloudy region of metaphysics and we were only carried further into the heart of them footnote the correlation between rationalism and materialism in this process has some immediate practical importance those who give up materialism while clinging to rationalism generally either relapse into abject submission to the most paternal of the churches or are caught by the attempts constantly renewed of mystics to found a new faith by rationalizing on the hollowness of materialism the hollowness has nothing in it and if you have come to grief as a materialist by reasoning about something you are not likely as a mystic to improve matters by reasoning about nothing we have not yet worn off the strangeness of the position to which we have now been led only the other day our highest boast 
was that we were reasonable human beings today we laugh at that conceit and see ourselves as wilful creatures ability to reason accurately is as desirable as ever for by accurate reasoning only can we calculate our actions so as to do what we intend to do that is to fulfil our will but faith in reason as a prime motor is no longer the criterion of the sound mind any more than faith in the bible is the criterion of righteous intention at this point accordingly the illusion as to the retrogressive movement of progress recurs as strongly as ever just as the beneficent step from theology to rationalism seems to the theologist a growth of impiety does the step from rationalism to the recognition of the will as the prime motor strike the rationalist as a lapse of common sanity so that to both theologist and rationalist progress at last appears alarming threatening hideous because it seems to tend towards chaos the deists voltaire and tom paine were to the divines of their day predestined devils tempting mankind hellward footnote this is not precisely true voltaire was what we should now call an advanced congregationalist in fact modern dissent on its educated side is sound voltairianism voltaire was for some time on very friendly terms with the genovese pastors but what with his jests at the expense of bible worship and the fact that he could not formally cut himself off from the established church of france without placing himself in its power the pastors had finally to conceal their agreement with him to deists and divines alike ferdinand lasalle the godless self-worshipper and man-worshipper would have been a monster yet many who to-day echo lasalle's demand that economic and political institutions should be adapted to the poor man's will to eat and drink his fill out of the product of the labour he shares are revolted by ibsen's acceptance of the impulse towards greater freedom as sufficient ground for the repudiation of any customary duty however sacred that conflicts with it society were it even as free as la salle's social democratic republic must it seems to them go to pieces when conduct is no longer regulated by inviolable covenants for what during all these overthrowings of things sacred and things infallible has been happening to that pre-eminently sanctified thing duty evidently it cannot have come off scatheless for there was man's duty to god with the priest as assessor that was repudiated and then came man's duty to his neighbour with society as the assessor will this too be repudiated and be succeeded by man's duty to himself assessed by himself and if so what will be the effect on the conception of duty in the abstract let us see i have just called la salle a self-worshipper in doing so i cast no reproach on him for this is the last step in the evolution of the conception of duty duty arises at first a gloomy tyranny out of man's helplessness his self-mistrust in a word his abstract fear he personifies all that he abstractly fears as god and straightway becomes the slave of his duty to god he imposes that slavery fiercely on his children threatening them with hell and punishing them for their attempts to be happy when becoming bolder he ceases to fear everything and dares to love something this duty of his to what he fears evolves into a sense of duty to what he loves sometimes he again personifies what he loves as god and the god of wrath becomes the god of love 
sometimes he at once becomes a humanitarian an altruist acknowledging only his duty to his neighbour this stage is correlative to the rationalist stage in the evolution of philosophy and the capitalist phase in the evolution of industry but in it the emancipated slave of god falls under the dominion of society which having just reached a phase in which all the love is ground out of it by the competitive struggle for money remorselessly crushes him until in due course of the further growth of his courage a sense at last arises in him of his duty to himself and when this sense is fully grown the tyranny of duty perishes for now the man's god is his own humanity and he self-satisfied at last ceases to be selfish the evangelist of this last step must therefore preach the repudiation of duty this to the unprepared of his generation is indeed the wanton masterpiece of paradox what after all that has been said by men of noble life as to the secret of all right conduct being only duty 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 is he to be told now that duty is the primal curse from which we must redeem ourselves before we can advance another step on the road along which as we imagine having forgotten the repudiations made by our fathers duty and duty alone has brought us thus far but why not god almighty was once the most sacred of our conceptions and he had to be denied then reason became the infallible pope only to be deposed in turn is duty more sacred than god or reason having now arrived at the prospect of the repudiation of duty by man i shall make a digression on the subject of ideals and idealists as treated by ibsen i shall go round in a loop and come back to the same point by way of the repudiation of duty by woman and then at last i shall be in a position to describe ibsen's plays without risk of misunderstanding End of chapter 1 Recording by Expatriate in Bangor, Maine